Hey everybody, I'm Jeremy. And I'm Jonathan. And we are the Evangelicals. One of the most important questions that Jesus asks in the New Testament, arguably, is the question that he asks to his disciples when he asks them, who do... He asks them, who do people say that I am? What's the word on the street? And then who do you say that I am? Yeah. And th- what we're going to talk about today is really an answer to that to those questions and then that ultimate question, who is Jesus? I want to start by uh, giving a little bit of a personal testimony. I uh, was um, I was raised in the church. I've never known what radical rebellion looks like. I mean, I just never... Uh, what's what's the phrase? Just smoke, drink, or chew, or run with girls that do. I never did any of these things, you know. Sure. And uh, went to a Christian college and did a lot of really Christian things. And I married a really Christian girl. And about a year into our marriage, I was really upset, and I was having uh, somewhat of a, a hissy fit. I was crying out in my living room to God, saying, "You know, God, I've done all these things, and I feel like my life is miserable." And in that moment, I felt a prompting to open my Bible, which I don't know is my default all the time. I hate to confess that. But so I did. I just I opened my Bible probably maybe to spite God. I don't know. I, I, I was like, what in the world am I going to find? I opened the Bible to Hebrews 1, and Hebrews opens with this line, in the past, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets at various times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us or he has revealed his nature to us through his son, through Jesus. And I, I felt very compelled and convicted in that moment that I did not know who Jesus was. And over the next couple of months, I really poured myself into the Gospels into finding out who Jesus is. And I, I realized that although I had grown up in a very healthy in many ways, Christian subculture and home, and there were a lot of good things that were a part of it. I had fallen in love with an idol of who Jesus was. I'd fallen in love with um, what Jesus could do for me via the Christian subculture. I'd invested in my life and my time in in climbing the ladder of the Christian subculture. But I'm not sure that I had identified who Jesus was, nor had I identified with who Jesus was. And I think that as, you know, if we are claiming to be Christian, we would have to know who Jesus ultimately is if we are supposed to be like him, which Christian means Christ-like or Christ-follower or Jesus-follower. And a lot of times, you're right, I think sometimes in the church we follow an an idea or uh, maybe even, and this may sound bad, but like an idol of who we think Jesus is rather than really getting to the grassroots of what who he was, how he interacted with people, what 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 we truly claim and understand as good news is the good news about Jesus, and and so once again and under and there there's there's been a lot of in the theological world, biblical world of of it being in search for the historical Jesus who was this guy and 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 I remember in in college that was a lot of of our study is trying to say these guys are going too far because they're they're saying things about who Jesus was historically as a person, as a figure, 
that that maybe isn't true, and they were trying to fit Jesus maybe into the box that they wanted Jesus to fit in to try to make it work out so that their theological ideas and ideologies could be correct, rather than saying, okay, this let's start with Jesus, and then we infer who we are to be and how we are to live and what we are to believe through him, rather than, once again, having a, a construct and trying to fit Jesus into it. Um, that would be the reverse, I would hope, of yeah, what we would do. Because, I mean, in in, in studying... Uh, people people would say that there are two Jesuses out there. There's the Jesus of history, which very few people in the world would argue that a man named Jesus from Nazareth walked um, in Palestine around the turn of the millennium. I mean, just historically, the world has kind of just has accepted that Jesus existed. However, what the world has not accepted is more the Christ of faith. Um, and then we argue about the Christ of history as people from a faith perspective try to fit all of the uh, faith stuff into history. Like maybe there's some stuff that we believe about Jesus that isn't necessarily historically true, you know? And maybe there's some stuff that's historically true about Jesus that maybe doesn't fit into our faith paradigm. I mean, even in the Gospels, we don't like the stories of Jesus that make Jesus out to be the guy we don't want him to be. Take, for example, the story of the Phoenician woman when she comes to Jesus to receive healing for her daughter. He's kind of racist. He says to her, he says, look, lady, um, I've come to the lost sheep of Israel um, and I'm not about to cast their food to dogs. And she says, she says, well, even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the master's table. I mean, she like fits into his racist paradigm to get what she wants and he admires her for her faith and he heals her daughter, I think ultimately. But but there is this there's this tension of who is Jesus and what can we know about Jesus and can we actually know Jesus? And I think it's a question that even the disciples struggled with was they had an idea about what they thought Messiah should be. And they were trying to fit Jesus into their mold or their understanding yes. rather than letting Jesus be who God sent him to be and falling in line with that. And so I think that that our struggle is no different than the struggle even the disciples had when they looked at Jesus and tried to figure out who this guy was saying he was sent from God. And and so I think it's, it's, it's something that that is a great topic to talk about. And as always, we probably won't get to the bottom of it, but hopefully we'll raise questions and contribute to the conversation and maybe make you think even deeper about who Jesus really was and who he is, not just was, but who he is today in our lives and and who, um, who we truly do try to aspire to be like, hopefully every day. I started by telling a story autobiographically that maybe felt unresolved. Um, I did that day in my living room sort of make a resolution to discover who Jesus was. And that's a pursuit that has continued to this day. I don't know that my pursuit of finding out who Jesus was is done, nor will it ever be. But I have definitely sensed the presence of the risen and living Christ in my life in a way that I don't know that I had before. And I even, uh, for those people who wonder about conversion and when conversion happens, I like to tell people that are fixated on that question that I was saved after I was saved, you know, like that I came to Christ <laughs> a decade or so after I had made a actual confession of who Jesus is. So let's talk about the things about who Jesus is, that maybe the secular world, the atheist world, the world that is not invested in the Christ of faith, that they 
take issue with as far as who we find, who we who we assume Jesus to be, or who the people of faith uh, say that Jesus was. Let's let's talk about the Apostles' Creed. Yeah. So this is this is be a creed that's been in the, the church for thousands of years, and it's. I would say is a confession of what we hold together with our other brothers and sisters from all the big C church, church universal. And uh, so the part about Jesus is the second paragraph in the apostles creed. And it says, I believe in Jesus Christ, uh, God's son conceived by the Holy spirit, born of the Virgin Mary suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified, dead, buried. He descended into Hades third day. He arose again from the dead he ascended in heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from where he shall come to judge the living and the dead. Yeah. The the creed assumes several things about Jesus to be true that scientifically are pretty tough for anybody to prove. <laughs> and, and Definitely a faith confession, a yeah. faith claim for Christians to he say. He was born of a virgin. Born of a virgin. Conceived by the Holy Spirit. Yep. Um, He... Uh, what's not in the creed, another thing about just the divine nature of Jesus was that he performed miracles, even raising people from the dead. Uh, the creed says he himself was risen from the dead and that he ascended into heaven. So uh, Acts gives us that account of the disciples standing there looking into heaven as Jesus levitated, just kind of went up into heaven. The t- text tells us he ascended into heaven. And then the creed also says that Jesus is going to come again. All of these statements about Jesus in the creed, they really are statements of faith. Uh, that the early church said these were historical realities. But as far as we are removed from those moments in history, I mean, we have no video uh, documentation of these instances. We don't have any. Me- we don't have Mary's medical records. You or know? neither do we have photographs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, forget video. We don't even have. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just so far back in history. All of all of the proof. Uh, there's just nothing that would stand in court, you know, as far as these claims. But these are the faith claims about who Jesus is. And I think that as we look at them, we really have to step back and say, um, we hold them to be near and dear to our hearts but I think we have to understand that as an out, somebody who is an outsider, an atheist, or somebody who has no allegiance to the Bible, no allegiance to the creeds, no allegiance to our traditions and, and the where we have come from and, and didn't grow up how we are, can look at some of these claims and think, and that could be a bit far-fetched. That could be uh, – uh, it, it just seems to be a bit um, whimsical <laughs> – mysterious uh and and we can get offended by that or we can try to understand that that faith is as the bible says is is we we believe in things that we can't see it's things that we hope for it's things that 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 aren't right in front of us but because we believe that jesus was who he says he was it causes us to follow after him and to hold these truths that the church has held for thousands of years um to be true, not because we can maybe nail it down, but we maybe it's truer than true. Maybe it's something bigger than than we could even once again hope or imagine. For me, I would like to consider myself an intellectual. Now, whether or not you're a listener, <laughs> listener, and you'd like to argue with self-proclaimed, me, that, argue, yeah, 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 that's fine. 
That's fine, okay? I'm confessing my self-understanding. You can have your opinion on what you think about that statement. I would like to think that I have a measure of intellect. And I um, I do, I do question the veracity of these claims of my own faith. However, for me, um, my faith is not contingent on these scientific claims that I can't prove, but it really is contingent on an experience with the community of Christ, the risen community, and my own experience with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. One of the most compelling elements of who Jesus was historically to me was his relationship with the Old Testament as fulfillment of prophecy. And there's there's a lot of people that argue about how much Jesus was fulfilling, how much Jesus fulfilling prophecy is kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. The books of John and Matthew in the New Testament, really all of the Gospels, but those, those, John shows Jesus a lot as fulfillment of the prophets, and Matthew shows Jesus a lot of fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Jesus, uh, uh, Moses gives 10, uh, Moses receives 10 laws on Mount Sinai, and what does Jesus do in the book of Matthew? He goes up on a hill and gives a 10, a 10 paragraph, uh, sermon or homily on the law, right? I mean, Moses Moses and Jesus are definitely compared in that way. And Jesus is perceived to be the one that really is the ultimate prophet for Israel, at least in Matthew's mind. One of the most compelling moments of scripture for me is the moment in Matthew where Matthew records Jesus on the cross crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when I was younger, I heard people teaching folk theology about that, that what's going on in that moment is that God is turning his back on Jesus because he can't look at sin, this kind of imputed righteousness idea um, of atonement. But the fact of the matter is Jesus was not, although Jesus may have been in despair on the cross, which I believe he was in his humanity, was in great despair. I mean, this is the moment of death. Right. Um, I don't want to cheapen it, but what we who don't know the, the Bible very well don't realize is that Jesus was not making up a line, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was actually the beginning, the beginning of Psalm 22, which all of the Jews present, part of their education before they would have a bat mitzvah or bar mitzvah is they were learning the Psalms and how you would learn the songs is you would learn them through singing. Just like if I were to sing you the beginning of line, the beginning line of your favorite song, you would be able to finish it for me. Sure. When Jesus on the cross sings, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? However, that Jewish tune would have gone in Aramaic or Hebrew. All of the people around him would have been thinking to themselves, dear God, this is being fulfilled in my hearing. Here's what Psalm 22 says. It begins like this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. Jesus, according to Matthew, didn't say the rest of this. He just said the first line. So people are going through these lyrics in their head. I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. I'm going to skip down to verse 6. I am a worm, not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. 
Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him. What do the gospel writers say were the, you know, the thieves on the cross saying to Jesus, you know, you save yourself, right? He says, you brought me out of the womb. Do not be far from me. Verse 12, many bulls surround me. Uh, verse 14, I am poured out like water and all of my bones are out of joint. Crucifixion was a death essentially by suffocation where he would be suspended and all of his bones were to be out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death, dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircle me. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. I am reading Psalm 22. I have not varied at all. I am reading Psalm 22 right now. I mean, it is, it's creepy, man. This is written hundreds of years, hundreds of years before Jesus is on the cross. Verse 18, they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. You can go open your Bible. This is not Jonathan's (laughs) Bible. This is in, none of us. At least, I don't know about what you learned in Sunday school, but nobody ever told me that what Jesus is doing on the cross in Matthew is not making up some new line that we can use in pop songs. But he's <laughs> quoting the beginning of Psalm 22. And then the very end of Psalm 22, it's very compelling. I would encourage you all, go read Psalm 22. It's, it's unbelievable. But verse 29 in Psalm 22, all the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. He's coming as a judge. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. And as I read Psalm 22 today in an office in Lima, Ohio, I'm a part of those future generations Mm. who are told about Jesus, the one who came in fulfillment of scripture, the one who came, uh, as John would say, the, the word the word had come to the prophets. The, all the prophets in the Septuagint, it says the word came to Jeremiah, the word came to Jonah, the word came to all these people. And John opens his gospel by saying that word that came to the prophets, it's, it's enfleshed in Jesus. It's beautiful. It reminds me of several other times that Jesus quoted scripture to show people who he was. It reminds me of when he started his ministry and enters the temple and asks for the scroll of Isaiah. Yes! And says... The, the blind see, the, the prisoner set free. Um, and then he does, has the audacity to roll it up and say, today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your presence. I remember John the Baptist was wondering if Jesus really was who he says he was because he's in jail. And John's like, hey, Jesus, it'd be awesome because if you could come over and, and get me out of prison. Right. And Jesus looks at John's disciples and says, hey, go tell John the blind see, the lame are walking. And all the things that was foretold is happening. Don't lose heart where you find yourself because scripture is being fulfilled right now. And so Jesus didn't come to earth in a vacuum, came to earth at a specific time and place. And in the midst of him living and breathing and walking, um, lived in the midst of a story, a tradition, and and took that story and tradition, elevated it, rather than trying to say, okay, now I'm going to do a totally new thing. I think it was a new thing, but it was a new thing wrapped in an understanding of what it meant to be the people of God all along. And we finally see in Jesus, oh, this is what God has been trying to, how he's been trying to get us to live. And so he's all the time 
um, elevating to the tradition. He's all the time bringing it forth and saying, look at me, like this is the, the evidence. This is the, 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 the outcome of when you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. I, I am just living and, and elevating and embracing a tradition. I'm not living outside of it. But in me, you see the law and the prophets. You see all of this. I haven't come to abolish, but I've come to fulfill. And it seems like Jesus is always quoting these Old Testament passages, trying to say, this was the point the whole time. And this is who I have created you to be as the people of God. And if you're going to follow me, this is what will be important to you, because this is what my ministry is about now now that the word has taken on flesh. This is how it is to be lived out. We assume that Jesus was a Christian, but nothing could be further from the truth. We have no evidence that Jesus came to establish a new religion. Jesus says, I've not come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. And as we read Acts... The way we find, yeah, they're the way they're a movement within Judaism. They are a sect of Judaism, but, the, but there were a sect of Judaism that was open to Gentiles, right? They were, they were, and, and this is, this is a lot of the epistles. Galatians is written by Paul, who's a Jew trying to help the early church navigate. Hey, 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 we're not imposing all of the kosher laws on all these Gentiles that come. I was just reading this week from Acts, the story of Peter with the vision of the sheet yeah. where all, uh, where where the sheet comes down with this uh, with this vision of uh, barbecue ribs and shellfish. <laughs> and bacon. Bacon. Oh, so much bacon on that sheet. You think we're lying, folks. You need to read an X. Yeah. Google, Google uh, Peter's vision of the sheet. There's bacon on the sheet. There's all this stuff, right? And uh, and the Lord says to him, take and eat. It says says to um to Peter, take and eat. And Peter says to the Lord, I can't. He (laughs) rebukes the Lord. He's like, Lord, you don't understand my religion. My religion doesn't let me eat the bacon. And the Lord's like, no, 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 my man. Receive the hospitality. Barbecue ribs are open to you now at the house of the Gentiles. And then there's this blind, don't call anything that I've made unclean. Which, which is also an, an interesting kind of rereading of Jesus earlier in the Gospels had said to us, it's not that which goes into a man's mouth that makes him unclean, but that which comes out. Right. Which I kind of hear that voice, you know, in conversation with the voice of, of the sheet next. But all, all of that to say, Jesus did not come necessarily to, to start a like a Western religion uh, that has made him out to be an idol of sorts or uh has made his his words has made idolatry of his of his words or of the institutions that have kind of flown out of that have grown out of what he was doing uh but Jesus came really to open Judaism to reveal the plan of God Abraham 12 the blessing yeah. of the world to reveal it to the nations. Which was the point from the very beginning. And I think that, uh, once again, he, he didn't come to so that we could have this church in America. He came to point us, one, to our own humanity and understanding what God created us, how God created us to live the whole time. And once again, I think we see that once again, because he's always pointing back to this is what it was. This is what it was supposed to be like. And we've almost created um, Jesus 
to be this, well, I mean, unfortunately in the American church, he's white and, you know, a surfer dude. And, and he is, he is what we want him to be. But I, we were looking at our church in, in Isaiah where it talks about how he, he actually had no countenance that we would recognize him. Like he, he actually, people hid their eyes is what Isaiah was saying. When this guy, when, the, when Messiah comes, when the one comes, it's not like you're going to look at him and think, well, there he is. Um, but the, it, it gives this impression that he would be beaten. But once again, just it even has the language that, that people hid their eyes from him. He was nothing to, to really gaze upon, which I think um, is a, it's a good thing to say. Sometimes we in our culture lift up the best looking. We lift up the ones who everybody think is a great leader. And, and Isaiah say, you know, this is going to be a different kind of leader. It's not going to be about looking at someone and portraying them and thinking, because that's what Saul was. He was a head above everybody else. He looked better than everybody else right. and was not a great king. Right. And it's almost like, once again, this didn't happen in a vacuum. And so we tried it the way the world does it. We want a king like everybody else, and we picked a king like everybody else, and we did it, and it didn't seem to be the way God wanted it to be. So actually, Messiah and who God is calling us to be is different than any and all of that. And we hear it in Isaiah. We see it fulfilled in how Jesus lives and talks and what he chooses, Psalm 22, to quote what he chooses to say, this is this is who I am and how I am embraced by this tradition that has been around for thousands and thousands of years. And uh, don't turn me into something that you want me to be. Hear what I'm trying to tell you, who I am and how I'm choosing, or what it means for me to be Messiah. I I think it was the uh, philosopher Soren Kierkegaard who said something to the effect of, it's not the parables of Jesus that um, we don't understand that should trouble us the most, but the ones that we think we figured out uh, yeah. that ought to give us the most pause, that ought to trouble us the most. And again, I began the, with the piece kind of uh, about my own story and discovering who Jesus is. But that is a, that's an eternal quest because um, no, one, no one understands the fullness of what, Je- of what Jesus saving the world means, nor can we, because we all have a finite existence. We all live in a particular place in particular time. Even the scandal of particularity in theology is this idea that it's difficult for God confined in space and time in Jesus to save all people at all time. I mean, what what God did in coming in Jesus is limiting, limiting himself to one place and one time. And honestly, I mean, with all the resources that we have right now, with the internet and the ability to record things and document things, um... It was honestly a terrible strategy by God to come when he did because nobody, you know, there was no video of the miracles. Right. You know, I mean, if God really wanted to convince everybody that, that it was, that was really him, I feel like he did a terrible marketing job. I mean, he came to this obscure little town in the middle of nowhere in Palestine, right? And he was born to peasant parents. I mean, he wasn't born into a lineage of royalty at all. And he came there uh, and limited himself in that way. And what we have done with the gift of God, what we have done with Jesus is we have created a religion that in our own day and age, we try to parse out how much of this is 
true? How much of this is worth staking our existence on or uh, forming a life around? And how much of it is maybe uh, less than what Jesus would have wanted? And we're often offended when people mess with our image of who Jesus is. And I want to have a little conversation about somebody who recently in the world messed with our image of Jesus. There was this artist, Yanni Lenonen. If you look it up online, look up a McDonald's Jesus or McDonald's Jesus, Jesus on the cross. I think it, if you Google McJesus, I think that's the name that has been given to this sculpture. And it's a sculpture of Ronald McDonald hanging on the cross, which has been very offensive to a lot of people. But what the artist is saying is that uh, the artist who is a Christian, claims to be a Christian, is saying that uh, Christians have sold out uh, to the worship of capitalism. It, it, that's just the, this particular piece. That's kind of the message of the piece. And I think at the initial look of the of the sculpture, I think I also am offended, you know, that the image of Ronald would be hanging on the cross. I mean, it's really a pathetic picture. It's, it's, it's funny. It's troubling. I mean, it's a lot of, it's a lot of different things when you look at the, when you look at the image. Um, but it, it challenges me in my own mind and heart to ask the question, what are my idols? Hmm. Who have I created to, who have I, created Jesus to be. And what is Jesus's cross to me? You know, Jesus says, anyone who would come up, who would come after me must deny themselves and take up a cross and follow me. And I think I asked myself the question when looking at this sculpture, what's the cross that I've taken up? When I first saw the the image, I was also first gut level reaction was like, okay, that's wrong. (laughs) Like there's no way that should, should be a thing. Um, but I think that, once again, as I think through it more, and, and we're not trying to tell you how you should respond or not respond. Your your reaction is your reaction. Yeah, check it out. And we're just trying to to just talk through. And so don't hear things that we're not saying um, and, you know, and impose on us maybe something that it isn't true. But I, I think I think you're right. And I think that that we are called to die daily. And And are there things that that as I'm looking at my own life and, you know, we as Wesleyan holiness people believe God is always hopefully convicting us and, and, and shaping us and taking things out. And I could be wrong, but I think that, that once again, there's this language, like Wesleyan language. I think it's Pauline language that I have to die to all of those things. I have to crucify, I think is even some verbiage that we've used. I have to crucify those things to, to God so that I can then be resurrected in, in who God is creating me to be. And and maybe an image of, of Ronald McDonald is saying, I'm crucifying something in my own life, whether it be capitalism or eating too many Big Macs or whatever. <laughs> maybe it's something that, that I have to put those things on a cross so that they no longer can, will be a part of my life. And and so there, there maybe is a, a picture of of redemption. And like I said, at first glance, like I said, I I was deeply offended and I'm not sure, obviously I'm not going to have this hanging in my office. I'm not going to get a tattoo of it and I'm not going to have it hanging on my rear view mirror. Um, But I think that, that when we try to understand what it is, and and I think a, a good talking point is I think so many Christians were offended 
there was riots in the street from Jewish Christians. Um, they, they had to put a, a, a curtain over it when people walked in, so they didn't see it initially, and with a sign that said, this may offend you, uh, looking at this piece of art. And But it, when I hear that response and that reaction, I, I wonder, um, do we have the same response or same reaction when we see the injustices of the world happen? When we see poor people go without things that they need, when we see hungry children, children dying across the world. And, and are we putting, once again, I'm not saying that this shouldn't be important to you or it should, but sometimes do we, are we indifferent to the things that if Jesus really did come to say that I have come, that the blind can see and the poor are going to have what they have. If we really believe in Mary's Magnificent, that the, the rich are going to be, or the powerful are going to be brought down and the low raised up. Are we indifferent to the things that Jesus would really have us be excited about? We get, a, we, get, we get really, really upset and we want to riot when there's a piece of art that we look at and we get a little offended by. But shouldn't we be even more offended by the things that we believe make Jesus really upset that are happening in our world? Jesus brings offense. And... Uh, I mean, I mean, just I mean, the the story that you told about when Jesus stands up in the synagogue, the people were very offended that he would imply that he was actually the Messiah, the one fulfilled. They were like, "No, no, no! This guy, we know this guy is the carpenter's kid. No, 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 no! This could not, this could not be." And I mean, why was he crucified by both the church and the state? Because he takes some people off. Yeah. Jesus is very offensive, and. Uh, Jesus Jesus did not come to make us comfortable, mm. but he came to challenge our status quo, to challenge our understanding of religion, challenge our understanding of who God is, and really ultimately to, to challenge our idols that have come between us and God. Jesus even said, they're like, show us the Father. And Jesus is like, uh, you're looking, you know, you just, I imagine Jesus all the time. And obviously we're talking on radio, but where he, he does the whole like hand to forehead, like, oh my gosh, not again. And I've been trying to tell you like this, you want me to show you the father? What do you think you've I'm been? I'm showing yeah, you. I, I, the, I have been showing you. The whole The time. whole thing is the showing you. <laughs> exactly. And I think that if we really truly understand once again, that these things made Jesus or these particular Things made Jesus upset or made him mad, or these are things that he was passionate about, or things that really fueled his ministry, it fueled his understanding of who God had created him to be. That that maybe if we are to be Christ-like, if we are to really be followers of Jesus, part of the way, or whatever word you want to be a part of, if we are to be spreading the good news that Jesus is here to make a difference in all people's lives, the poor, the oppressed, the people that that nobody else wants to to speak up for, um, shouldn't our life look a little like that? as well. And, and and unfortunately, sometimes I think we get really offended and things rub us really the wrong way. And once again, I'm not saying they should or shouldn't, but I, I think that Jesus looks at us sometime, sometimes maybe and thinks, man, I wish you would really get fired up about things that concern me and about things that were a part of my ministry here while I was on earth. The Evangelicals podcast is recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio.